um, if you're here expecting a Thanksgiving service or message, that will be next week. <laughs> I, I'm going to um, try to finish up Genesis chapter 3 today and um, then um, move on to a Thanksgiving message next week and head into uh, Christmas uh, messages following that. So um, that's, that's kind of where we're heading. And this morning I want to start with Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11. And uh, that's a kind of a lengthy passage that I want to read this morning, but I want to read that all together in one chunk, chunk, and then it will be up on the screen as I go through uh, the message this morning. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. It's interesting when you look at the story of the fall and Adam and Eve have sinned and God chases down Adam and asks him what he's done and Adam blames Eve directly and blames God indirectly. The woman you gave me. <laughs> there is a tendency with each one of us when we sin to kind of indirectly blame God 
because he allowed certain circumstances or allowed certain influences or allowed this or allowed this thing to happen in my life and it just pushed me beyond the point of which I could handle it. And so I sinned. And indirectly, we have that tendency to want to blame God for our actions. So he, he blames God indirectly, but he also blames Eve. Instead of taking, and you see really no responsibility until he says, you know, the woman you gave me gave me some fruit, and then he takes responsibility, and I ate. Adam goes from being the protector of Eve to being her accuser that quickly after sin enters the world. I want to say just a few things about marriage, and I can't camp here very long. But I want to say this. Every marriage problem is ultimately about a problem between a man and a woman or a man or a woman and God. When something is out of whack between a man's relationship with God or a woman's relationship with God or both of them, you're going to have problems in the marriage. Sin enters the world and instantly the marriage of Adam and Eve is not what it was, not what it had been. And so we need to be aware that when there is strife in marriage, a lot of times there's a spiritual component to it that has gone awry. So the woman blames the serpent. Adam blames Eve. The woman blames the serpent. Both Adam and Eve admit to eating the apple, but they will only admit to eating the apple after they have already blamed a cause, someone else. Adam has to blame Eve, and then he says, and I ate. <laughs> and Eve has to say, but the serpent, the serpent, the serpent you made, <laughs> the serpent gave me this apple, told me to eat it, and then I ate it. That's taking responsibility by way of an excuse. Eve essentially says what we so often say, the devil made me do it. And we need to be really careful as Christians that we don't adopt that mindset because it's natural to us. It's a natural result of sin that, well, sometimes we'll take responsibility as long as we have a good excuse to go with it. We can't just say, I sinned. God talks to Adam, God talks to Eve, and then God gets to the serpent last. And God begins 
punishing the serpent before he punishes Adam and Eve, which is really interesting. And there's another difference. The serpent is cursed. Adam and Eve are not. They are simply punished. And I think there is a lesson there for us in that. God is always deeply opposed to those who tempt others to sin. And God cursed the serpent, but he did not curse Adam and Eve. He punished them, but he did not curse them. You will remember that Jesus one time said, it is better to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the water than to tempt or to lead a young person into sin. You see the same thing here. Serpent, he was the one. There was no sin nature in Adam and Eve to lead them to sin at this time. So the serpent was the cause of their sinning. He was the one that got them to thinking about it and led them into sin. And so God deals with the serpent and curses the serpent. And it's interesting that the serpent is changed. He had been In Genesis, well, you know, before this event of the fall of man, he had been an angel, a glorious angel before that that fell from heaven because he rebelled against God. We know that from Isaiah, we know that from Ezekiel and several verses there. But in, in all of that, he had been this wonderful, glorious angel. And even in Genesis chapter 1, you get the impression that he is able to stand and walk in the garden upright, talk and reason with Adam and Eve. But all of a sudden, that his name that had meant brightness and glory, that is no longer for, he goes from being a glorious creature to one that is crawling on the ground in the dust in humiliation. So God curses him to crawl on the ground on his belly. Secondly, God puts enmity, he puts hatred between those who are children of the serpent and those who are children of the woman. In other words, those who do not submit to Jesus Christ, he, he, he creates a hatred between those who will not submit to Jesus Christ and those who will submit to Jesus Christ. There's always going to be a continual set of, a, a continual warfare between Satan's family and God's family. That also, in regard to marriage, is why Jesus says to us in the New Testament that we should not be unequally yoked. That when we're looking for someone to marry, we ought to look for someone, especially if we're Christian, that we should look for someone who is also a believer. Because there's that natural warfare that happens between the unsaved person and the person who has been saved. They're just, they come from different worldviews, points of view. And so there is enough tension in life anyway without adding that to the mix. 
Satan says, or, or God says to Satan, that he is going to provide a savior through Eve, through the woman. Satan will strike at the heel of Jesus on the cross. But Jesus would bruise the head of Satan. Remember Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. That's his heel being bruised. But Satan, his head is crushed by Jesus um, at the resurrection. That starts at the resurrection and then it's culminated when Satan is cast in the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And then Romans 16 verse 20 ends with this. It says this, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What do your feet do? They help you walk. You know, one of the ways that you crush Satan is by your Christian walk. And when you and I live our life walking in the Spirit, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, we are actively crushing the head of Satan. We have in this passage also the first prophecy of the virgin birth. God says to the serpent, he says, uh, he refers to the seed of the woman. And that refers to all of us because all of us came from Eve. But it refers specifically to Jesus also because he talks about the seed of the woman and then he goes to the word and he says, and he will crush your head. <laughs> and he's referring to Jesus who crushes Satan. It's interesting because genealogies are almost in all cultures traced through the male gender. But Adam's not even mentioned here. <laughs> and I'm not sure what all you do with this, but sin came through a woman, and salvation comes through a woman who gives birth to a Savior who saves us from our sin. God addresses Satan first, and then he goes to Eve, and he says, what is this you have done? And, and Eve stands before God and faces God for, the, for judgment, and, and her punishment is pain in one of, one of her chief missions in life, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. In pain and childbirth. But secondly, her punishment involves a distortion of the relationship between Eve and Adam, a distortion of the harmony that is supposed to be in marriage. There becomes, instead of harmony, kind of a competition that had not been there before. There is a desire, an urge, a craving to control and to dominate Adam, and that had not been there before. 
It's interesting that the same word for desire is used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where Cain has killed Abel. And God says to Cain that sin is crouching at the do your door and it desires to have you. So in other words, sin has a desire to dominate over us, but he tells Cain, you must master it. And what we are being told here is that women, you will have a natural desire sometimes to just dominate and control and manipulate your husband and you have to master that desire and urge in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 there is no theology whatsoever of male headship over females Eve was simply the helpmate of Adam and now all of a sudden after sin, Adam kind of rules and holds dominion over Eve in the same sense, and, and, and hear this, in the same sense that Adam and Eve were to rule and hold dominion over all creation. That was not to be in any domineering, controlling, manipulative sense. That was for the good of creation. And so any time that you talk about male headship in the scriptures, the biblical definition of headship implies being a good steward of your spouse for their good and their benefit. Not to control, not to manipulate, not to abuse in any way, shape, or form. Part of Eve's punishment is that she will want to usurp that man's headship. And part of the punishment is that males often tend to respond by becoming more authoritarian instead of benevolent and kind. The NAT Bible, the New English Translation Bible, translates it this way, and I think it's very good. You will want to control your husband but he will dominate you. Now let me say this. Sin will often drive in our culture a woman to use her intellect and her body to defeat, to subdue, to exploit men through manipulative mind games and all kinds of other things. And sin will drive a man to use his strength to dominate over women through rape and abuse and threats and all kinds of other evil things. Men ruling and dominating over their wives is an observation of God in this text. It is not a command of God. It is an observation of the result of the fall and a result of sin. Men have a choice to make as to whether they will be part of the curse in Genesis chapter 3 or whether they will be part of redemption in Genesis 1 and 2 <laughs> and be a part of salvation in the way they treat their spouses. 
Men, you never take the, the idea of biblical headship and, and go back to Genesis chapter 3. Why would you want to live as part of the curse instead of part of redemption? Likewise, women have a choice to make in, in terms of whether they participate in the curse by just, you know, being insubordinate and all that kind of stuff or being part of redemption and, and trying to create in your marriage the kind of marriage that Adam and Eve had before the fall. Your goal in life, if you're married, your goal in life is to do everything in your power to live in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and not in Genesis chapter 3. Well, I've stirred up a hornet's nest now. <laughs> Adam is next to stand before God for judgment. Notice first that he is judged because he listened to his wife. But don't stop there. There's an and. <laughs> so, men, don't just assume that just because, um, you know, sin is anytime you listen to your wife. That, that's not what it's saying there. There's an and there, okay? <laughs> you remember from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the reason God created woman was to be a helpmate and in the Hebrew, that is significant that part of that help is from the verbal advice and wisdom that she gives to us. A great deal of part of that help is that. So it's interesting here that you, you come to this text and, and the word says, you know, Adam, your punishment is because you listen to your wife. She'd been given to speak wisdom into his life from a distinctly different perspective than a male perspective. She was given for that purpose to him. So, it's, it, so men, it's not that it's sin to listen to your wives. What is sin is Adam's passive acceptance of what she said without dialogue, without discussion, without engaging, without comparing it with what God had already said. And God had already said, no, you may eat from any tree in the garden, but you may not eat from this one tree. And here's the deal. Adam was placing Eve's word above God's word. And so I have to ask you, what word and whose word do you place above the word of God? God's word comes here. Your spouse's word comes right underneath it. And if you get those messed up, you're going to be in trouble. Adam placed Eve's word above the word of God. And I don't know why this is, but men have a little bit more problem doing that than women do. 
I think sometimes we just want to play it passive and just not cause any troubles. <laughs> not get in any trouble, so we just do whatever. Instead of engaging, instead of dialoguing, instead of talking it through, walking it through, we just, okay, whatever. And that is what got Adam into sin. He was not having an intelligent discussion with Eve when he should have. Secondly, Adam is judged for eating the forbidden fruit. Adam's punishment is difficulty and one of the main missions and drives of his life to tend the creation and make it fruitful. A woman quite often is driven to feel successful, especially in relationships. A man quite often is driven more often to feel successful in his work and what he can produce and, and all of that kind of thing. But now his work no longer yields like it used to yield. And if he is really productive at work, quite often things fall apart somewhere else in his life. And you see the curse that comes on the ground and everything else. And, and, and Adam can go for days and not feel like he's successful in the things he does. The land is full of thistles and thorns that rob us of the fruit of our labor. There's a scientific law that you learn about in about seventh grade called the, the law of entropy. It says that there's a universal tendency for systems to decay and to become disordered, for the new to wear out like our sound system, for the old, for the young to become old, for the living to die. Now, isn't that interesting that science has this law and yet the whole theory of evolution completely refutes that? Because the whole theory of evolution is that, what? Out of nothing, something great occurs. And things keep getting better and better and better. It works nowhere in life. It's a stupid <laughs> theory. <laughs> Science's own theories and laws tell you that evolution doesn't work. And that's a result of Genesis chapter 3 where God says things just aren't going to work like they once worked as a result of the fall. Adam's punishment is also death, the return to dust, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But it doesn't have to end in eternal death, your life. When you die from this life and when I die, it doesn't have to end with eternal death because Jesus took our punishment. 
Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 speaks of Jesus being cursed as, as one cursed hanging on the tree. From Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the sweat. And you remember Jesus sweating drops of blood in the garden? talks about thorns being part of the curse and what does Jesus wear in the week of Gethsemane a crown of thorns and then Genesis chapter 3 talks about the dust returning to dust and Psalm 22 verse 13, or 15 says Jesus ate the dust of death as he was buried I want to tell you that what Jesus came to do is to undo everything in Genesis chapter 3 and make it so that you and I, the end result of our lives is not that we just die and turn to dust, but that we die and we live again and we return to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where we celebrate with God for eternity. Jesus overcome the curse for both Adam and Eve and for all of creation, and he took the curse on for us, and we will dwell with him. And what does Revelation tell us about that? There will be no more death, Genesis chapter 3. There will be no more sorrow, Genesis chapter 3. There will be no more crying, Genesis chapter 3. And there shall be no more pain. And for you, those of you living in pain, there's coming a day when you shall go to heaven and there will be no more pain if you know Jesus as your Savior. It's interesting. Adam never called Eve anything but woman until Genesis chapter 3. Woman. Her name was woman. We, we always call her Eve. But Adam never called her Eve until after God got done punishing Satan and Adam and Eve. That's when Adam named her Eve. And that's significant. Woman means out of man. And so every time Adam talked to Eve, he just said, woman? <laughs> but in Genesis chapter 3, why does he rename her? Every time in the scriptures where somebody gets renamed, there's been a fundamental change in their character and who they are. There's been something spiritual happen in their life. That, that was true for Abram, who becomes Abraham. It's true for Sarai, who becomes Sarah. Jacob, Jacob becomes Israel. Simon becomes Peter the Rock. Saul becomes Paul. And here in Genesis chapter 3, woman becomes Eve. And it's because she becomes the mother of all of those who will find life through Jesus Christ. That's really interesting because they had just heard the verdict that they were going to die. And Adam turns around 
and looks at the woman and he says, and now your name will be Eve, the mother of all living. Did he not just hear what God had said? Yes, he did, and he believed it. In the punishment, he heard the promise of God. In the punishment, Eve heard the promise of God. And what they heard was not just that they would die, but that Eve would produce offspring, and through one of those offspring would come the Messiah who would set them free from the curse of death. And the good news in Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam named Eve, he was saying, I believe the promise. I believe there's coming a redeemer. I believe there's coming a savior who will save us from this curse of death so that we can live forever and get back to the garden of Eden. The goal of the Christian faith is to return us back to the Garden of Eden, to the everlasting life in the presence of God. God placed cherubim, angels of holiness, to protect the way back to it so Adam and Eve couldn't get back in there. We are sinners, um, and there is nothing we can do to get back there on our own. We can't make our own clothes. We can't do anything. We can't make fig leaves. God had to make skins from the garments of animals for them, which represents that somebody had to die for our sin. The only way back to the Garden of Eden is for you and I to ask Jesus Christ to save us from our sin to start a relationship with him and allow him to come in and save us from death so that when we die here on this life, we just go on in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we go back to the Garden of Eden. It is because Christ died, and it is because Christ lives that you and I can also live if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ.